Welcome to Post-Status Draft, the official podcast for Post-Status, a website with news and information for WordPress professionals. Today, Joe and I discuss WordPress 4.6, which was just released. If you enjoy this podcast, you can get a lot more quality news and analysis from the Post-Status Club multiple times per week. Check out current club members, site partners, and join the club on our website at poststatus.com slash club. You'll be joining more than 650 wonderful club members, and you'll never miss important WordPress news again. Also, keep in mind that I have an event coming up, coming up called Post-Status Publish. If you go to poststatus.com slash publish, you can see what this event's all about. It's basically uh, the concept of bringing the Post-Status Club to uh, Philadelphia for a one-day in-person event for all Post-Status members. There's never been a better time to join, especially if you're going to be in Philadelphia in December. The event is taking place the day before WordCamp US, so it's very convenient and accessible for anyone that's traveling to WordCamp US. Go to poststatus.com slash publish for more information about that. And today I'd like to feature one of our partners, Prospress. Prospress makes uh, WooCommerce just a little bit better because they create uh, extensions for WooCommerce, and their primary extension is uh, WooCommerce subscriptions. I use WooCommerce subscriptions to power PostStatus. It makes... uh, automated, recurring revenue, much, much simpler than I could do on my own. It works great, does everything I need it to do. They also have other great extensions that you can check out on their website at prospress.com, including single-page checkout for WooCommerce. Thank you to the Prospress team for being a Post-Status partner. Now here's our show. Hey, everybody. I'm Brian, and I'm the editor of Post-Status. And I'm Joe, a co-founder and the CTO of HumorMade, and welcome to the Posters Draft Podcast. And today we're going to be talking about the uh, just-released WordPress 4.6 Pepper, if our information is correct. Uh, don't give away <laughs> that we're recording this just slightly before WordPress 4.6 comes out. I had to do some journalism. And, we'll, now, uh, we'll now have to refer to everything in the past as if it's already happened then, isn't that's, it? That's right. That's how... That's how uh, Real ballers do it, right? I see. Um, so, yeah, so this release is named after Pepper Adams. Uh, Park Frederick Pepper Adams III, to be specific, uh, in the tradition of WordPress. The uh, release is named after a famous jazz musician. He was a baritone saxophonist, if I'm saying that properly. I believe so. I'm going with it. Uh, so yeah, just released, uh, led by Dominic Schilling, um, hundreds of contributors as normal, and um, it's kind of been marketed as an iterative release and one focused on bug fixes and refining existing features and stuff like that. So there's not like a single mega feature that we're going to be talking about, but we will go into some of the user-facing features that exist in WordPress 4.6, and we'll probably dive deeper into some of the developer enhancements, some of which are pretty interesting, and I certainly have questions for you on on a number of them, Joe. Mm. Cool. Um, so, well, also I'd like to point out that Pepper Adams was a composer, so I think this might be a little uh, nod to the future for c- use of composer in WordPress. It's just a, uh, <laughs> it's a conspiracy theory that I'm running. <laughs> I, uh, I'm down with that. Uh, I know... There will be some people that would be pretty happy about that, yeah. but I think uh, I think your tinfoil hat might be tuned up a little too high. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so why don't we start with some of the features in four six? And for those of you listening out there, I hope you're 
enjoying your exercise or whatever. Specifically, I heard uh, Barry Coy say that he decided we're better than music for his runs. So, Barry, enjoy really? your run today. Just uh, <laughs> makes him want to keep running away from our voices, maybe. <laughs> no. Just, you can't get away. <laughs> Pro tip, you could take out your headphones, but don't do it. Uh, listen, listen to us. Um, there must anyway. be some kind of slow r- rhythmic uh, thing going on with our voices, maybe. Yeah. It sounds terrible. Between, I can, between the UK that. and Southern influence, you know, who wouldn't want to listen to that? <laughs> exactly. I was recently learning a little bit about polyglots, which is also a feature worth talking about today in 4.6. And um, I decided that all post-status posts are uh, English. The E-N dash y'all is my... Uh, it's my locale. <laughs> that's your locale. Does yeah. that exist yet? Is there? I guess no. that's kind of already that one. Zay linked it to me. It's something. It's got a different, more boring extension on it. Like, but there is, yeah, like Southern American something something. It's like S M A or I don't know. Mm. Uh, more boring than uh, Ian y'all. <laughs> I'm, ca- I'm going with Ian y'all. Yeah. Uh, so with that. Let's uh, let's dive in at four point six pepper. So there are let's see one two three four primary what are being called user facing features that are uh, that are part of this release. Um, probably the one with the most work that's gone into it is shiny updates, and this is actually part two of shiny updates. So Joe, do you want to kind of tell us what the heck that means? Uh, yeah, I'll give it a bash. Um, so the, essentially the process for upgrading themes and plugins and core, um, used to be, uh, you click update and then you get this like basically a blank screen where it says like it's upgrading and then it like shows you the, the like, I don't know, outputs a bit more text, whatever it's doing. So it's really kind of clunky and old, uh, way of doing things, I guess. Um, so this basically just uh, makes all of that upgrading really seamless. So it all just happens um, via Ajax. So you click update and it spins and then it's like, okay, it's updated. Uh, so it's a really smooth um, process there. Uh, you can also, um, I, I'm not sure if this was there before or not. So correct me if I'm wrong, but you can now just like view all of your updates on one screen. You can just hit this update all button and then like it all just spins and it's just like, okay, it's all done. So uh, it's in- incredibly simple, I guess, to keep everything updated, which is really the um, end goal here, I guess. It's kind of a nice feature that it's like spinning and it's like, uh, you know, it all works nice like an application, but the point being that people will keep up stuff up to date more because it's a pleasurable experience to do that. Uh, so I think I think it's a very um, worthwhile goal. And the UI is also nice, uh, but that, that's kind of a... Uh, a carrot really to get everybody to keep updating everything, I suppose. Yeah. So this, since it's part two, um, it's a, uh, it's a refinement on what happened last time. And honestly, I updated to four, six on a local install. And then I, I had already updated my plugins. So I didn't get to test shiny updates and it's true glory. Um, but yeah, what you said, is the way it works, and it's all to prevent what they're calling the bleak screen of sadness, um, which isn't really a page that I personally hate that much, but I guess it makes sense um, that it's it's not ideal. 
Yeah, like I, th- I think if you would design this process from the beginning and you didn't have a technical limitations, which is really why, you know, that bleak screen existed before, then you probably wouldn't come up with it. So I, I think this is kind of just the natural way that, that makes more sense. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, it's nice. I think it's good. It's a lot of, it was like a lot of work. It's a really difficult feature, obviously, like having WordPress upgrade itself is just, a, you know, a, a, a technical challenge in itself. So there's a huge amount of complexity. Um, so I think they've done a really good job of obscuring all of that underneath this quite simple, clean UI. Right. Um, so probably the most visible feature in this release, at least to people with a keen eye for uh, font families, is native fonts. Um, so uh, I didn't look up exactly when we went to Open Sans, but I think it was with the MP6 update um, in, okay. what was that, 3.6 or something? Uh, three seven, I think. Yeah, I think it was three six. Okay, you're you're much more likely right than me, so <laughs> I'll let you have that one. Uh, but yeah, so we'd been using uh, Open Sans, using it from Google's font directory, their CDN, for several years now, and that made a more seamless uh, look for the admin. And now we are adopting something that's become pretty popular on the web between GitHub just switched to this, uh, Medium uses this for parts of their uh, setup, and it's not just a declaration of sans serif, but it's actually like a pretty scientific font stack so that um, instead of using Arial, even though that might not be, your device might have it, but it might not be your device's like native system font or Helvetica or whatever, it actually goes through this list so that it's pretty well tuned to use whatever your device or laptop or whatever operating system, whatever it's kind of defined as its go-to system font. So theoretically, now WordPress should look more like an application, other applications on your device, and therefore be a little less opinionated in terms of its usage of uh, Open Sans. Um, yeah, I guess that's the this is the end goal is to have it look, um, look I, I guess consistent alongside the rest of the real apps I guess that you're running. Um, mm-hmm. It's uh, which I think is really good. It's nice as well that you don't you know need to download a font to view the WordPress admin or anything. Um, so it's, it's a little quicker there. Um, I remember like GitHub launched it a couple of months ago. For the first day, I was really thrown off. I was like, ah, oh, something has changed here. I don't know what it is. And then I realized it was the fonts. But then you get used to it very quickly, and I think it does look much better. Uh, so I the, think it's a, a good addition. I actually read a post, I think, on Medium about someone, maybe Medium, that had implemented this, I don't know, a year or so ago. And the process is pretty fascinating because you have to go... Uh, kind of from the least um, available font first to the most available at the end Mm. um, in order to prioritize. And that allows you to do things like um, Roboto is what I think is Android's default font. font, And that is, I think, the fourth one in the stack. Um, And it starts with Apple system, then goes to Blink Mac system font, whatever that is. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so some of those are references to like Apple system is a dynamic uh, reference to whatever the system font is under mm-hmm. a, a back. Whereas, yeah, then the ones further down the stack where, where there is nothing um, supporting 
that kind of API where you can get the dynamic system one, then they're starting to introduce just actual fonts, right, to to fall back to. Yeah, so it's actually a really interesting um, thing to look at. I'll try to find that Medium post that talks about how this step, font stack came about. Um, so it's I think it's fine from a WordPress perspective. I don't think it'll really cause any problems. Most people probably won't notice. Most people don't really have that great of an eye for uh, fonts anyway. Um, I think they've refined it well enough to where you know all the line heights and all the th- things that uh, you know a, a font family's like X height and things like that mm. differ. So that that adjusts the typography requirements for WordPress, and they've done a good job of fixing any issues that came from that. Yeah, because it's um, impressive to support all of those fonts simultaneously, really, in the right. in the same design and everything. Whereas, uh, obviously, when you were just using uh, Open Sans before, then they didn't need to do that. You kind of knew what the font was, uh, so you could just yeah. And this modeling. this really makes me want to uh, steal it for some other use cases, um, and just kind of borrow from some of the implementation methodology that WordPress and other other platforms have used. I know, for example, this would make emails where you're using a sans serif look a lot more native to the device because you could use a uh, this native font stack and your email would look better than if you just declare it in something else. Like right now, because I know it supports, uh, I don't know, like 90% of devices, like I think my emails are in like Verdana or something. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. And it's not bad, but it's still not, it's still not, uh, native looking to mm. the uh, the email device, or you know, the other place is uh, I should probably consider using this like on post status. I use Gotham Narrow for the uh, body font, which I personally love. But I have to weigh: is it worth the uh, the resources that I'm using to deliver that font, or would it be better to just you know deliver whatever the device I'm on? wants to deliver and save myself a couple hundred milliseconds. Right, um, right. It's a tough one, uh, especially because I know I'm not getting rid of every custom font because uh, mm-hmm. I have two other fonts on my website, but I only have a single, they're only a single weight. So getting rid of the body font, you're getting rid of four different weights because you're getting rid, you know, the normal mm. and italics and regular and bold. So I would be able to get rid of four out of six of the uh, fonts that I currently use if I did that on my website. So um, those are all trade-offs that you know we considered with, uh, or the team considered with native fonts, and they determined between uh, the minimal savings that you get, especially from Google CDN, which is quite fast, uh, but combined with the visibility benefits and the uh, fact that you're just not relying on some third-party service for anything. Uh, those were reason enough to to use native fonts, so that was an interesting conversation to follow. Um, and yeah. yeah, that's native fonts. Probably a little more than anybody cared to know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think it's a good feature. I'm going to use it on a lot of stuff now. I think you know when you, you usually just like knocking something together and you don't really know what fonts to use, then this is just uh, this is kind of probably going to be my go to for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll hop on that bandwagon. Uh, so the next feature is the inline link checker. And basically what this does is detect that you haven't made like a dummy error when you're putting a link into a blog post. Um, and now this is 
specifically for like say you highlight a word and you hit like the chain button and you know you type or paste a URL. Uh, the scenario where I've always managed to screw this up was when I copied a URL, but it didn't have the HTTP on it, and oh, yeah. it was all you know. Treats then some URL. yeah. The first com- then the first comment on the post was like, "Hey, your uh, second link is broken because it goes to postass.com/slash/wordpress.org or something like that." Um, so th- for that scenario, this adds an HTTP for you because it detects that you've screwed it up. Um, and then you were checking. It also has a scenario where it like does this red outline. So what? How does it? Yeah. So there's basically a bunch of uh, regular expressions um, to kind of just work out if you've typed URL that you probably got wrong. So like if you have HTTP colon slash example dot com, so you only do one slash instead of two, then it's gonna recognize that it's not quite right. Uh, so it'll give you a little red eye line just as if it was a typo or something, really. Um, so that's kind of, I guess it's got a few regexes for uh, common mistakes like that. Um, the interesting, the earlier iteration of this feature app was actually doing like a lookup. Um, so, so you would type a URL, it would send a request essentially through your WordPress site, so proxy through your WordPress site, to like go fetch that URL and check that it wasn't like a 404 or it wasn't a connect problem. Do you um, know why that part got removed? Yeah, there was a few reasons. One, um, I think the main one was like quite often your URLs may not be accessible when you're actually writing things. So it could be you're linking to not yet published content or something. So they would technically be 404 um, another one is uh, a fair amount of websites actually block like the WordPress user agent from requesting the sites because of you know plenty of historical botnets and stuff like that. It's it's just not that uncommon that your WordPress site won't be able to reach a URL when actually other people can. Um, then there was uh, like potentially issues around you know the, the usual uh, you give somebody a link and they paste it in, it's to a huge file, so it like can overload your server. And it's like, there's a good amount of security stuff that goes with that as well. Um, so all in all, I think it was just weighed up that it wasn't worth the false negatives or positives, I guess, whichever way you want to look at it. Um, it, it wasn't kind of worth that uh, because as, as soon as people start ignoring things that are read that actually work, then um, you've kind of just made the feature useless because people will just ignore it when the URL is wrong, even if it's legitimately wrong in the future. So you're best off erring on the side of let URLs through and only kind of show the ones that are obviously definitely not working. Um, Otherwise, you kind of lose uh, user trust in the feature and people stop paying attention to it. That makes sense. I guess it's uh, not really much you can do about that, but it's at least... Uh, you know, just one of the iterations on the editor that uh, can come in handy sometimes. I know that would have prevented uh, a good dozen or more comments that I've gotten over the years where I made a, a stupid error and mislinked something. Um, no, and then the fact it's, it's handy. Actually, on I, I thought I, because one thing that I've seen people do quite a lot is they like, drag a file in from their desktop or something and it would be given like a file colon slash slash URL. I don't know if you've ever seen that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it didn't flag that as invalid anyway. So I might create a track ticket to ask if that was talked about or not. 
because um, that's a, that's another one I've seen a fair bit with clients just not understanding like their browser doesn't support drag drop so when they actually <laughs> drop a file it just you know uh, it looks right for them because it's referencing this file URL off of their computer but it doesn't work for anybody else um, I feel like that could become a black hole of pointless debate yeah <laughs> could, could well be <laughs> like shedding yeah um, okay so the final user-ish facing feature or kind of like writing security feature maybe would be browser content caching. Um, WordPress has been doing things over, I don't know how many releases, a whole bunch to try to make people more confident in the fact that when they write something in the WordPress editor that it's not going to go away and uh, be lost forever. Um, It's a pretty sucky feeling. Uh, In the longest blog post I ever wrote, I lost about 2,000 words one time. That was pretty cool. Um, And Obviously, that's something that their team wants to prevent. They want people to write in the WordPress editor and be confident in it. Um, So they've introduced a new feature for taking advantage of browser caching so that if you lose your internet connection, um, it's just one more scenario where uh, WordPress will try its best to save that content for you. So uh, do you know how exactly the browser caching works for, for saving that? Um, I don't know. I haven't really followed this one very well. Uh, my understanding was previously that your uh, changes were already saved to local storage. So unless that was removed at some point and that didn't exist previously, then I don't know exactly what this new change is doing. Well, I think it was slightly different before because uh, it would save like when you pause typing but you didn't save the draft yourself uh it uh, would kind of right. save it would save like its own little revision for you and i think there was some element of local storage but i don't think it was like locked down mm-hmm. um i know it was still possible to lose things and there were some edge cases and whatnot um this time around it's actually uh I, try, I think it's constantly trying to take advantage of the uh, the the browser cache, and then so if you lose your connection, and then all of a sudden your editor four hundred four is and you can't see anything, you're freaking out. Uh, when you go back to that page, it sh- it shows you a notice that's like, "Hey, you lost your internet connection, but we've still got it." Uh, I see, yeah. and it pulls that out of the browser cache and plops it back into the editor for you and saves the day. I remember uh, we we had a a client project that I was working on not all that long ago, a few months ago, and they were getting this, at the time, inexplicable error where they would update a post and it would delete all the content. And uh, it was also, I think it was a custom post type, so it didn't have revisions on by default. Um, And it was the most, it was the worst thing to have to, you know, this is like the only thing that the CMS shouldn't do. (laughs) <laughs> it's like <laughs> yeah. it's like lose your delete monitor. everything um and it, it it was really difficult to um i don't know i, I just it, it wasn't a proud moment for me so I, anyway yeah so I, I took it quite seriously so I, I spent like quite a few days it's one of those things where like it's only happening every three days or whatever so it's, it's really difficult to to track down and anyway, i found finally managed to find the issue which was um a quite obscure error. There was actually a WordPress core bug. I, I was always presuming it was going to be my code, but it, it was it was uh, on this one. It was like uh, when you update a post, um, 
if there wasn't already an a, a like autosave that had happened before you clicked update or something, then it would do like an update and then afterwards, or it would create revision, then afterwards it would do the update. Anyway, the revision creation process would like destroy the data in the super global. So then you'd like save your post and it would uh, wipe out all the content. But um, yeah, that, that is, I just, I, I, I think sure? have, having like more stuff like this is like incredibly valuable to protect against that. Because it's like, it's the worst thing I think that can happen is you have data loss. Um, there's just not really any way around it. Um, so I'm like more more robustness in this area. I think is really valuable, even if it's uh, solving the super unlikely use case of you know somebody hits update and whilst it's updating their internet connection dies. Like all of these tiny little edge cases um, are something that we should be really looking at and uh, making sure that uh, as as close to a hundred percent of the time, then people can't lose their data. Yeah. So I just looked up the scenario when I lost my 2,000 words. And of course, I went and tracked down something and track and complained about it enough to where someone pointed me to where this issue came from. And mine was a similar funkiness. And it was actually when, uh, if an, if your nonces expire, mm. then right. yeah, that's it, another the same thing point. had happened. So yeah, so I would, what was happening with me is because I'm writing a mega long post to come back hours later and just pop in my browser and the nonsense has expired. And uh, then when you go and press update, it goes poof. Yeah. Uh, so they fixed that, I guess, uh, nine months ago or so. So, Or maybe it's not fixed yet. I think, <laughs> it, has a, I think it has a separate, I think it has a separate, the track ticket that I complained on was not the one where it was fixed. Uh, or I see. I don't know. Anyway, I think they fixed my particular issue, but this is a challenge, you know, editing content's hard. So... This yeah, is exactly. one more one more thing to to make that a little more liable. Um, okay, so let's get into developer features. This is where I'd like to dig into a couple of things, and I think, and maybe you'll agree with me as a REST API homer, um, that the enhanced metadata registration function is probably the most exciting change in four six. Um, it's not my top one, but um, okay. I'll, I'll, that's probably, uh, I don't, I don't. Hot drama. (laughs) (laughs) So the, the register meta changes, uh, is, is for anybody that doesn't know, basically, um, the old signature of the function is to, you know, you have a register meta function, which is if you want to define more information about a bit of meta, because maybe it's, um, need some special sanitizing function when people update it through the, uh, um, through the custom fields box in the WordPress admin. And also it allows you, I think, to have an authorized callback to make sure any certain people can add that type of meta. Um, so the signature which, of- which in itself, register meta is not that old because forever it was just like slap some arbitrary stuff in there and there's no real data about it, right? Yeah, yeah. So register meta was like a really nice idea. Unfortunately, it hasn't really been adopted too much because it's not used that much because you know people don't really use that custom fields box anymore anyway that much. Um, so the idea is to kind of beef out this register meta function to be able to specify a lot more about the type of data metadata that you're registering. So, uh, you still call register metadata on a post, um, and then you pass it a meta key as well, which is the key that you want to, uh, sorry, you, you, you pass it a object type. So like post, for example, Mm -hmm. then you pass it a, a key, which is your meta key, and then you can pass it an array of options now. 
So the the kind of point here is that because this third parameter is now an array of options, then it's uh, you you can add more and more stuff into that array as the meta will be able. You know, you'll be able to do more with your meta, for example. Um, so carry on. So. A long-standing point of debate with the REST API, though, is able to be finally uh, at least moved forward on with this. Yeah, yeah. So this this was one thing that was blocking Meta in the REST API uh, because the Meta endpoint. Right. the The main issue with Meta in WordPress is it's very arbitrary. We don't really know programmatically what type of data a Meta key can be in. You know, what type of people. Uh, what level users can update and things like that. So that's why we haven't been able to put in the REST API yet is because it, it's it's difficult to automatically handle meta. Um, mm-hmm. So that's why before we've had this register REST field that allows you to, um, you know, essentially for, me- for specific meta keys that you want to allow, define a load of stuff around those to say what should happen when people try updating things. So register yeah. meta is just a bit more of a higher level uh, abstraction on that kind of same idea where... You can essentially just tell WordPress more things about your metadata, and then WordPress can then you know use that in places like the REST API to make it available there, and also uh, other places like the customizer and things like that. Uh, and one of those is the show and REST parameter. So now, if I'm registering, say I register a custom post type called uh, advertiser. And then I can register metadata that I automatically want to be available in the uh, in the REST API. And then if I say show in REST true, when I register that meta in my plugin, it just pops up. So then WordPress.org or WordPress, the WordPress install handles uh, showing all that stuff in the REST API. So I have more accessible data, right? Right. That's the idea. So the reason why I don't think this is the biggest developer feature is because we're actually only kind of 5% of the way there because, you know, <laughs> there's the ability to have this show and rest parameter, but it's not doing anything right now. Um, so this is, I guess, the first thing that we know that was blocking the metadata in the REST API. Um, I'm waiting for just a bit of time that, that I can have to actually, like, take it to the next stage and see if there's any other blockers. If there aren't, then we can continue. Um, but it's it's definitely like laying the groundwork for us to get across this one hurdle. So like I just see it as like quite a long way off. It's not like metadata is now in the REST API. Um, we can't yeah, quite yeah. say that yet. I mean, um, but there, this is there one are several step. There are several things where this has been the case, and it may be uh, a little bit demoralizing to think maybe it's two or three releases of dealing with stuff like this. But you know, one that comes to mind was how term meta got into core. It was a, that was in unapproachable problem for a while too but then you know there was yeah you kind of chip away at it one release at a time and that's definitely what I see what this is Um, and fortunately our releases at least come every uh, three or four months so yeah Yeah. you know we just have to be patient Um, but it's at least a step forward getting rid of one blocker increases the ability to to potentially get you know an input absolutely so uh, that's why I was excited about it. And if nothing else, I can use this for myself um, to just make getting those uh, endpoints to show in the REST API a little bit simpler. Yep. Um, so if that's so not your favorite developer feature, I want to know what is. Yeah, so the, uh, the thing that interests me most is the um, resource hinting stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this... Um, I have to admit, I'm a I'm a dummy with this. Okay, so. <laughs> speak uh, to me. 
So the, the main concept is there's now an API. Well, okay, let's back up a little bit. There's this thing in HTML5 where, <laughs> where you can specify like in uh, meta tags, I think, in the head, like which um, domains you want to uh, like have the browser pre-connect to. So if like in the bottom of the, your page, you're going to have like a big image from google.com. In the header, you can say, go make the connection to google.com because you're going to be getting something later, which you haven't, you don't know about yet, but it's going to make sense to go start making that connection now because then by the time you want the image, it's going to be much quicker to retrieve it. Uh, so there's this, that kind of comes in two parts. You can either tell the browser to just look up the DNS for the uh, the domain of that. So just look up the DNS for google.com and then when you find a resource that is of google.com, you already know the IP address or whatever to, to follow from looking up that DNS. Uh, then there's another one which is pre-connect, which says not only go and check the DNS, but also instantiate a connection to that host name. Um, so you've already got this connection waiting to ask it for a given URL. Um, so there's this is kind of cool, you know, it just means that I guess at this stage, uh, so WordPress has added the ability for developers to specify these. So if you have a plugin which is going to um, add, um, I don't know, emoji from a different character set or something, you can say add a prefetch for this in the header. And then when a browser actually comes to download it, then it's going to be a little quicker to load. Um, the kind of cool place where it went after that is it's gone a little further so any um, assets that you register with WPNQ script or WPNQ style that aren't on the same domain of the WordPress install, then um, it will automatically add pre-fetch, uh, I think, for or pre-fetch and pre-connect, I'm not sure. I think it's pre-connect, actually, uh, to all of those domains. So you're, it's just kind of like, because of that, it's an automatic performance improvement, which is um, what's the, part what's of What's the type of visible thing on the website that's going to benefit from this? Would it be like font loading or something? Because uh, Font loading would be one, like images from different domains would be another. Um, JavaScript from different domains, like you, I don't know, you're loading Optimizely or the Facebook SDK or something like that. Um, so any, anything where you're pulling external a, like um, assets from different domains, it's quite sequential right now, right? The, the browser is like downloading and passing the HTML as it comes in. And if you've got all of your JavaScript in the footer, it's not going to know anything about making those connections ahead of time, but it could have done, and that could have saved it quite a lot of time. But instead, it's going to go get your page, download all the HTML, pass it, start running the page, then get to the bottom and be like, oh, we've got six different domains here. Time to go and connect to those. And then when it's done connect to those, it goes downloads the files for, for those assets. Um, so it just allows you to speed up that process and the um the results are actually pretty good it's surprising how much of the time is in the connect stage for a connection if mm-hmm. if you have a javascript file that's you know um only a few lines long so a couple of packets then uh, most of the time is actually spent in the connecting so um you you're getting kind of a automatic speed increase i think you know by by this wordpress feature because it automatically just it already knows what assets you're going to be including via WPNQ script and style. Um, so it's just a nice automatic thing on top of that where it can add pre-connect for all of those. Um, and I guess because of the way HTML5 works, when I declare, hey, go prefetch this, uh, it's doing that alongside whatever else 
it's doing in the waterfall anyway, so it's not not slowing down yeah, to yeah, the top of the page. Ex- exactly. That, that's essentially free, that part, um, because your chances are you're going to be doing other stuff anyway um, in parallel that, that isn't going to be impacted by that. Uh, so it's, um, it's a nice addition there. The only downside is slightly more page weight because you've got these meta tags in your header now. Um, but I think ultimately the trade-off between the extra few bytes for uh, those meta tags versus all of the pre-connecting is, is well worth it. You know, one of the scenarios where this interests me is I load my fonts from uh, typography.com, like the Hoffler company. The, mm-hmm. the people that make the people that make Gotham, so that's the best way to say it. And uh, uh, Zach Tolman did a great post. Um, I don't know, maybe a year ago now, where he had analyzed my site and decided that typography.com really sucks at uh, making the connection and doing all the handshaking that's required to, uh, you know, to load the fonts because mm-hmm. just of the way they handle authenticating your site and stuff. So I wonder if this would make more sense to set it up to where it does the prefetch at the top and then that connection that maybe takes the longest part is done by the time I get to the footer and then just load the fonts themselves in the footer. Um, so if that's the, a type of scenario that would work well or... Yeah, so if, if you're already loading those fonts in the header, you might as well leave them there. There's no downside to doing that. Um, so it... It can't obviously it can't make those fonts load quicker. It can just start loading them earlier. That's kind of one way to think of it. Um, but if you load them, if you do the prefetch in the header, then you can use the the top of the waterfall for other important stuff, right? And then, right, right, yeah. So uh, that's that's a good point. Yeah. So you may be able to. I, I I don't know exactly how that's implemented. If it's a JavaScript, if it's blocking and things like that. Um, so mm-hmm. it probably depend on that. But yeah, ultimately. Um, if you can do the prefetch or the pre-connect right away, um, then your uh, if if it is blocking, then yeah, it'd be better off in in the footer in that regard. Um, or uh, the the are you loading your font sync? Like if the font doesn't download, I'm, is, I'm using is, is they, I'm using a bad example. <laughs> I'm potential. Uh, I'd have to look. I'm potentially using a bad example because I haven't looked at the exact. Uh, setup of my of my fonts in a while um but i'm trying to think of like some kind of obvious win um another question i have on this is what about stuff like uh ad tech or something so like you're hitting a third-party javascript file and they want that information early i guess could you yes with this the you you could like do a um pre-connect or whatever on the um, uh, on on the JavaScript file because usually how ad tags work is you have like one JavaScript but then there's like fifteen levels of redirect and like pulling in iframes through iframes through iframes after that so it's mm-hmm. not really going to help you with any of that to just pre-connect to the domain um, but you can uh, you you can definitely get it for that first step um, and and improve the connection which will be could be like you know dfp.google.com or something you could uh, pre-connect to that um, but the uh, all, all of the crazy ad stuff that's going to come after that is probably still going to be just as slow so when you're kind of talking about 
your usual crappy ad tags that's like 10 seconds could be to even load it, then you're probably only going to take a few milliseconds off of that. So I don't think it's going to really fix that problem of crappy slow ads. I gotcha. But there are some scenarios, especially maybe where you control the third party a little more. I don't know. There's got to be some scenario where this can be a significant improvement. Um, plus, I guess, I mean, I'm just looking at my... Uh, the third-party JavaScript that I load on my website, and it's, I mean, there's really several sources, so um, if you kind of combine all of that, then it could end up Yeah, matter. it does also um, just, uh, I, I misspoke slightly before, so there's there's uh, DNS prefetch and preconnect, which are the ones that we just discussed, which is just like getting the connection set up. Um, you can also uh, do a full prefetch or pre-render so you can actually say like go get this whole file right at the beginning as well um okay which, uh, yeah could, could again like depending on the situation really um could yeah. could do that like one area where uh wordpress is using this is for the um emoji stuff um so mm-hmm. i i guess like every wordpress site now default will go and download the wordpress emoji um, file if, if emoji is used so like browsers without or operating systems without native emoji support would still work um, so they're using a DNS prefetch there rather than a pre-connect because I think so it's it, probably if you're if you have if you're loading a lot of third-party stuff or any third-party stuff and doing custom development and you're worried about performance it's probably worth uh, looking and digging into this w3c spec a little deeper to yeah. figure out the type of gains you can get from prefetching, preconnecting, pre-rendering, um, and see which one is applicable where. But I have a feeling that that could uh, that could be a big deal for certain sites for sure. Um, yeah, and the like the the main thing I like about this is WordPress is just a little bit like with responsive images is just going to be making a lot of sites a little faster by default for just updating and not really having to change anything. Um, so I think that that's why it's kind of like the most interesting developer feature of Meeks is just improve things without uh, needing anybody to you know write different code or anything. Yeah. Uh, okay. So let's dig into another uh, performance feature. But first, let's thank our sponsor for today. Uh, so one of our partners is Prospress. Uh, Prospress.com. They make the WooCommerce subscriptions plugin, and that subscri- subscriptions plugin is actually what powers uh, memberships and automated membership billing on post status. So I use this plugin. It's really great. It's built on top of WooCommerce. So uh, Prospress makes that, but they also make like a single page checkout plugin and a couple other plugins that you might be interested in. Um, Their whole mission is to make the world's best e-commerce software just a little bit better. Um, The subscriptions plugin is amazingly uh, complex, but works quite well. Um, I'm really happy with how it's worked for me and their team's really responsive and helpful. So yeah, go check out prospress.com and buy WooCommerce subscriptions. So thank you for the Prospress team for being a partner. Um, Okay, let's dig into uh, another issue that I think has a great performance benefit, which is the persistent comment cache. Um, Comments in WordPress have for quite a while been a performance hog in various ways and um, the folks that do the uh, thankless duty of making comments in WordPress better 
Uh, shout out to actually Rachel Baker is the comments component maintainer um, for being one of those folks. And yeah. now the comments uh, API is able to utilize a persistent uh, comment cache. So have you looked into the way the comment cache in 4.6 works? Um, yeah, so it's uh, broadly the same as how uh, post caches work and have done for a long time, um, from my understanding. Uh, it, it's, I guess it's good that we have it. It's kind of crazy that it's been this long that, that we haven't had persistent cache for comments. Um, yeah, that's what I've been trying to figure out is what was the reason for not having it before? Yeah, I, I don't know the intricacies. I know that there was a lot of um, tricky things that when comments were first implemented that uh, there was just, um, I, I guess, in retrospect, bad decisions made, I guess, with, with how that code worked, which made it very difficult to provide caching on top of. Um, so it's really just been a really long process of picking through everything there and you know step by step making sure that... Um, uh, it, it, a little bit like this register meta thing with the REST API, you know, just each release has had something um, around the, the comments that, that are slowly allowing for this way to properly cache them. So that's finally here now, which is fantastic. Um, I guess the reason before looking at Rachel's post about it is that the cache invalidation was very unreliable back in WordPress 2.6. Uh, so it was put into a group of non-persistent cache groups, which I'm actually curious to see what else is in that group still. <laughs> Ugh. So yeah, now they can uh, properly invalidate out-of-date uh, cache values whenever comments are added, modified, or deleted, she says. So um, yeah, it's good. I know from some of the larger sites that... Uh, we host then, you know, people getting like a thousand comments on on their posts. I think four dot four had a huge amount of comment improvement stuff for, um, you know, the front end was doing huge comment queries and stuff as well. Um, so I think that coupled with this is really going to be making it so WordPress can be just as performant with comments as it can with the rest of the fairly um, robust cache coverage now it has on posts and terms and everything else. Yeah, and it was reloading those anytime, any page view where comments were requested. So right. uh, that probably has to do with why a lot of sites did the whole like toggle comments thing. You remember that? Yeah, yeah, that, that's it, true. It kind of became a trend, right? Because then you just you know do a separate AJAX call or whatever to to yeah. pull in the comments. Still, maybe not a bad idea because uh, a lot of sites don't have very good comments. <laughs> there, <laughs> but, there's that. Yeah, there's also the general like. Uh, page level cache invalidation obviously that doesn't change mm-hmm. with this with this right. update so if you're uh, caching your pages for five minutes people answering each other's comments is quite difficult if, to uh, do that if nothing else though if someone's hiding comments um, and you're doing it with that ajax call because it's in the object cache now it will make the actual call to load the comments significantly faster that's always right. atrociously slow when i do that on a website i'm that sick person that reads a post and I'm just curious what the trolls look like on it <laughs> like in my local paper I don't do you do that is that just me I think that's just you <laughs> <laughs> I'm always curious what the trolls are saying I'm the guy that I'm the guy that reads the first like half dozen or dozen YouTube comments just to see what happened there in that wasteland um, it's, 
I, I really have a lot of admiration for people that work on comments in, in any software application because it's usually not a lovely place. Right, right. Um, okay, so what is another developer feature or whatever, anything in, in uh, WordPress 4.6 that you would like to talk about? I've got one more that I want to talk about, but uh, it's your turn to bring one up. Um, I quite like the uh, new objects that have been introduced for things like uh, WP Term Query um, and WP Site Query, just kind of like uh, making, uh, and, and what comes with those is things like WP, um, what is it, WP, on oh, no, WP Network was already there, but just kind of more solidifying around the core WordPress objects are making all of the querying for different ones more consistent, the naming more consistent and things like that. Um, so I just from like a uh, developer friendliness, I think that stuff's quite important just uh, for new developers coming in, even if they're very experienced elsewhere, they expect things to be uh, consistent. So when they use um, WP, uh, WP query isn't a great example because that's not a great name. It really <laughs> should be WP post query, but anyway, that's what it is. But having that versus, and then you have WP common query, then um uh, WP term query makes more sense rather than get terms, which is essentially what it was before. Uh, so I guess putting that in a little bit of perspective, historically, you know, if you learn WP query, that doesn't make you smarter or more informed for now going and querying terms because you had to use get terms. And there were eccentricities for querying a variety of data bits in WordPress. But now, if you teach, say you have a new developer that is, uh, I don't know. And, you know, they're a developer, but they're not in the know about all the all the ins and outs of WordPress's eccentricities. Establishing this consistent standard, once they learn the basics of how WP query works, now they also know the basics of how WP term query, comment query, user query. Right. They're all on the same basis, so uh, it, it just makes that whole process simpler. So learning for developers is is easier in this scenario, right? Yeah, exactly. And I, I are th- kind of uh, are there additional benefits in terms of extending these and stuff like that, or would you say that's kind of negligible? Um, I mean, you've usually got to be running some pretty crazy code when it, when you want to be extending WP query. Um, <laughs> I've I've written some things like that, but really not very much. Um, so I think it's you know it it's better for rather than you know allowing developers to reuse that code or whatever is it, it, it just kind of like uh, has a bit of a higher level of abstraction where there's a bit more room to grow I guess in a WP term query it's quite a lot easier we can now slot in something like um, the way that WP meta query integrates is it can be passed to uh, any query that is or any any query class like posts or terms that have meta. Uh, so, so I think it just allows a lot of the code to interoperate better when um, they're all kind of following the same paradigms like that. Uh, so when it comes to adding um, something else, like a new query type or something that can be applied to terms, posts, comments, uh, then Sites, everything... networks. Right, exactly, networks, <laughs> multi-networks, multi-multi-network. Uh, <laughs> How many networks can Jeremy felt put in a network. <laughs> I'm, we need a terminology for a network of networks, and then we'll be able to have multiple of those. That's, uh... Yeah. <laughs> People are amazing that the 
the depths that you can go with multi-site. I just haven't haven't quite done it that way. But. Yeah, we're running um, a few multi-network installs where you have multiple networks on the same WordPress install. Can you give me like a practical example, like abstract maybe your actual client name, but yeah, give sure. me an example of when that works? Because so, it's just one of those things that always kind of baffles me. Like it, maybe it's, it just makes me feel like it's bad architecture, but maybe I'm Yeah, not. no, yeah. I, I, I understand where that's coming from. So if you're, um, like really a, a, what a network is is a way to group multiple sites together. So if you have multiple of those groups, so for example, this is a blogging network that um, has, uh, people can go to uh, the Norwegian site and sign up for a blog. They can also, yeah. so that's, that's, a, that's a multi-site there, right? Everybody that signs up in Norway is a Norwegian uh, network. They also have one in other countries as well. So when you go to the UK one, then you go sign up there. So there's, there's two groups of sites. One is all of the sites that are in Norway and one is all the ones that are UK. So they're different networks within this one multi-network. Okay. So really all, all it is, is is a way like all of these different things, the whole way up the stack, right? Post types and um, uh, and one level above that, you can like put stuff into, or, or maybe a level below that, you put some different categories into those buckets and you have all those under one site. Then you have all of these sites under one network. So it's just like, it's just like this big hierarchy. That's all I kind of see it as. So every time you want to create another level of hierarchy, you can either like shift everything one level down and replace the top level, which is your single site as being the top level of the hierarchy, or you can instead grow up. So you go from a site and you decide that you want all of those features many times, so that's why you then you need a network, and then you go above a network. So it's quite possible that um, there's, you know, you, you could keep going up levels as long as you can think of uh, concepts to, to group things at a higher level and then have different versions of those, like a taxonomy. And multi-site applies throughout that hierarchy? Like you can actually go that many levels? No, so, so, so realistically right now, I think, I think, I could be wrong on this, but I think you can only have a network of networks. I don't think you can group at a higher level on that. But if you added okay. taxonomies to networks, then uh, you you can essentially do that. Um, but but if I'm gonna go, if I say I'm gonna go compete with the Huffington Post and I'm gonna create a website called Vulcan News, right? I happen to own that domain, which is why I'm <laughs> <laughs> we'll be being relaunched pretty soon. <laughs> Yeah, just wait. My BuzzFeed killer is coming. Uh, okay, so I, I have Vulcan News, and I have a multi-site installation for USA.VulcanNews and UK.VulcanNews. But then within that, I want like local news organizations, so each country can be its own network, and then I can have local news organizations within that. So I can have Alabama.USA.VulcanNews.com, mm-hmm. And that's like its own organization, authors, the whole everything you get in a typical WordPress install, but it's it's uh, isolated to itself, so that they don't have to worry about everything in the admin for you know Massachusetts and other other sites. So that's that's the level I can go to now, right? Uh, yeah, exactly. That's like how we have it for a couple of different clients. So we're cool. Gonna... Yeah, that makes that makes sense. Um, a little multi-site aside there. Um, if okay, internationalization. Speaking of our uh, our international news network, 
Uh, we can also talk a, about the internationalization changes in WordPress 4.6 real quick. Um, I mean, honestly, this is one where it makes sense to me, but it's not something I've particularly dealt with because, you know, Merca. Uh, basically, load text, load plugin text domain and load theme text domain, the priorities have changed. Um, and this matters if you're on WordPress.org. And I think I understand this, but you may understand it better than me. So do you do you kind of know exactly how these priorities are changing and what it means? Um, short answer, no. <laughs> don't think you can get right. any shorter than that pressure's on uh, so to my knowledge the way this the way this works is that uh, essentially the, it, there's translate.wordpress.org and um, it used to be so that you it used the translations that were in your plugin or theme first, and then it fell back to these. But now it's going to WordPress.org first, and you actually don't even have to call load plugin text domain if you have a publicly distributed plugin or theme. I see. That's cool. Um, and they're calling it, they have a neat name for it, so it's called just-in-time loading for these translations. Nice. And I think basically that means that the community translations through translate.wordpress.org are prioritized over the translations that you include in your theme or plugin with your, you know, like Mo and Po files or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so that allows for um, more accurate and more up-to-date changes. So, like, you kind of get a wiki effect on translations rather than having to wait for the actual plugin or theme author if someone goes and translates it. That that's it. That's going to be uh, used okay, first. That's cool. So so like if you were or if a plugin author was bundling uh, translations in their plugin, but you know they are always a few months behind or something, then correct. You know you would always be always begin the older ones, even though there were new ones sitting on WordPress. Right. So if there's someone translating that's ambitious enough, then um, and they're always keeping this plugin up to date for say the Russian translation, then even if the author doesn't include that translation in each release, they can go ahead and knock that out and it'll be there, which is really cool for big plugins, especially. Mm, um, I can imagine a scenario like WooCommerce, like they could have some, you know, very small group of users that use a, uh, I don't know, (laughs) some language, Uh, use the, the Southern English translation of WooCommerce, but, the, there are people that find it very important to have that Southern English translation of WooCommerce, so they can they can make it happen. Um, so does so. it uh, does that um, is there like a daily cron or something where WordPress checks for like more recent translation versions and goes downloads them? How does that work? Um, I need to look at how the uh, the functions that actually call those translations how they work but i'm pretty sure yeah it just uh it pings wordpress.org and grabs and grabs grabs these translations um and you know it's always got gone and gotten those translations for wordpress itself which was accessible for themes and plugins to use remember one time we dove into translate.wordpress.org and it's this crazy humongous website with lots of people playing with it Mm -hmm. um but now it just looks there first instead of uh, 
instead of later. It assumes that the community version is better than the than the plugin driven version. Right. Which may be quite true a lot of times, especially for these freely uh, you know, freely available plugins and themes that could be more important to the users than the authors. Yeah, than the author. Yeah, exactly. Um, because this is on WordPress.org and there, it's therefore only prioritizing stuff that's on translate.wordpress.org, that means that commercial stuff doesn't apply here. So that's a little bit of a bummer, but you know, not, not the biggest deal in the world. I guess theoretically if you're offering commercial stuff, you should uh, be working with your translators that are giving you free translations. <laughs> Um, I think I'm about ready to call it quits. Uh, I have to admit, I really don't know a whole lot about the new stuff in the customizer, but there are definitely a lot of things in the customizer, uh, that are new kind of like always it's, I mean, it's yeah. just, no, I'm rapidly, uh, under, um, under knowledge on the, uh, customizer generally speaking. So the, um, the one that seems to be the the most important is that there's a uh, a variety of APIs actually that help you validate settings values more automatically so that you can kind of declare. Oh yeah, yeah I do so remember that now. I was part of this. There was a, a large discussion around this stuff, which has just come <laughs> rushing back to me. And uh, <laughs> what, I mean, what's amazing to me about this is it's the type of thing that there have been discussions about doing outside the customizer for fields. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're kind of moving forward with it inside the customizer, which... Yeah, it's similar for the REST API. I think... Um, uh, I don't know. I, how can I put this sensitively? I just don't think that it makes sense to wait for the fields API before being able to push ahead with other things. So I think that's why we're kind of seeing things like the register matter is in now, which is there's quite a lot of overlap there with you know uh, fields API type stuff, and again with the specifying you know uh, validate callbacks for arbitrary uh, meta and stuff like that, and in the customizer. Um, my kind of take is that uh, it's it's better to kind of not have those things stagnate just because we can't work out um, exactly what the fields API project is doing. Um, yep, I'm all about that. Um, it's you know it's difficult sometimes. I've been working on my in my head thinking of how uh, open work. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I don't work very much then. <laughs> uh, I uh, I've been comparing in my head the checks and balances in government, at least in the U.S. government, how it's supposed to work, and how there that kind of mirrors a lot of times in open source software development um, because you have to really work hard to make relatively slow progress, um, especially mature projects. And um, a lot of times the checks and balances, in in WordPress, the checks and balances are more like, uh, do we maintain backwards compatibility is a check, you know? Um, Or do we meet the the philosophy of the software? Um, You're balancing and you're checking against those types of things more so than like between the legislature and the Supreme Court or whatever. Uh, But it's a similar concept of, these things are meant to help drive the software forward in a responsible manner. But a lot of times that just makes it feel like it's slow and challenging. And 
it's a careful balance, you know, and um, I think that helps kind of summarize four six too, because uh, and this isn't the only release that's ever been this way with WordPress, and this was this way by design. Um, it was meant to be like an iterative release and a, a fixed release, and that's great. But like, this isn't a release that I'm gonna. If I was doing client work, I'd like email all my clients and say, check out this great new thing you can do. You can yeah. update plugins and it spins instead of right, goes to a new right. page. But I would say the, and maybe this is just, I, I, I don't know whether this makes sense or not, but this is definitely a release where I feel very comfortable uh, upgrading everything. Um, yeah. Whereas 4.4 that brought in a lot of stuff and a, quite a lot of change, um, or the you know term splitting stuff and things like that were much more um, kind of you know that that was a really slow process for us to upgrade everything because I knew that we had to be looking uh, as things were upgrading that all of the upgrade routines have run okay and things like that um, so I don't know maybe like I guess what I'm saying also just applies to release where nothing really happens and you know I'm really happy about that because I don't need to like worry about anything breaking so like I, I prefer the the progress that can be brought. But um, I think this strikes a really nice balance of like, there's been a lot of focus, what really has amounted to a fairly modest amount of change, but I feel really confident in all of that change, that it's all very robust, and um, has, I I guess, kind of um, had a huge amount of attention for the, uh, for the size of, of, um, the the features that have gone in there that I feel really happy to just go update everything now uh, on yeah. with, with that rather than you know waiting for the point one or whatever people like to do and I, I certainly think that's important and I also think that we should probably get used to this a little more because one it's natural as software evolves but also just kind of the direction that WordPress feature development is going um, we could easily go multiple releases where you don't get some big user facing feature that pops up. And if anything, it helps the argument of saying we should start pushing auto major updates in the future as these updates get more and more, um, I don't know what you call it, <laughs> you know, safe uh, to make. And um, yeah, I mean, this is not, this has been a trend of where as a person writing about WordPress, you know, I don't have to go make like some big, this changes everything type of release post, look at all this new stuff in WordPress 4.x. Um, instead, it's like, hey, new work version of WordPress came out, and here's what you need to know. And there's you don't have to like dive into tons of user-facing or massive changes. Right. And parts of me like that, and parts of me don't like that. It's hard. <laughs> it's kind of hard to decide. Yeah, but I, I think it's a lot. It's a lot about the release process and the release style. Like you say, if we released a version of WordPress every two and a half years, and just like instead of releasing things slowly, it was all the same features, but then it was like one big drop. Then it is going to seem like a huge amount has changed at once, and you've got to go test yeah. loads of things. I think it's about slowly releasing things as they're as they're ready. Um, like I, I would prefer a release every month that had um, a third of the amount of stuff in it. Um, yeah. Probably, you know, probably. Anyway, um, like I, th- I think the uh, smaller we can chunk things up, the less risk there is. Then um, that things can go really wrong, and like there's a lot of education. It's like, oh, we're upgrading to a new major version. We've got to do training again for whatever you know the 
um, all of that kind of stuff. Uh, the the usual go-to example is the Chrome one, which is continuously updated, which I think is a great direction for Core to head in with major updates. Um, so yeah. I'm definitely on board with all of that. You know, Pete, there was a lot of controversy around when that happened for apps on smartphones, but, I mean, literally whoever cares about updates in their smartphones now? You know, like, it just updates, and then you see the changes, but it's not like a lot of people are mad because they couldn't stop that from happening or do it on yeah. their own time. Yeah. Though, having said that, um, so on my girlfriend's phone, then she's got, for some reason, update automatically turned off, and there's, like, 145 app updates, so... Oh. <laughs> It's, yeah. I just can't even touch your phone. It's, uh, it's, it's too. It's, it does me in too much. Yeah, I can't handle that. I mean, overall, I do. I do like this process. I certainly prefer uh, less exciting releases every three months versus you know one humongous oh my god release every two three years uh, or six years <laughs> or whatever. Um, I think it's better for the software. Um, it just means that we don't. We have to celebrate when feature big features drop, but it doesn't mean like we're not gonna it's not like you have to hit some big feature for every major release. And for a good ten or twelve releases, it, there was that mentality of like, hey, what's the big user right. visible thing right. this release? And I really don't think that that's a priority anymore. And um, you know, for better or worse from a marketing standpoint, it's probably not so bad from a uh quality of software yeah. standpoint. But I, I mean, I think that's happening fairly industry-wide. Is, is Stuff is trending to smaller updates. Operating systems aren't this huge new thing that you've got to relearn every time it comes out now. The same with the, the phones as well. So I, I think um, it's just a... I, I think it is a better approach that we're seeing everywhere. And I think this kind of idea of like, oh, what's in the version 2 of this software is like a little um, more old school now. So... WordPress shouldn't worry about that at all. Yeah. Well, there you go. It's a pretty stable release. I've been running the uh, betas and release candidates and whatever was before that on my personal blog all along and never had any issues with it. No one ever knew. No one ever knew. It's running fine today. Uh, So, yeah, I imagine that I'll be updating pretty quickly with important websites, which is really just post status for me. Um, Once it officially drops i mean it dropped already right because we're recording after not not before <laughs> we're, we're definitely not recording this before wordpress releases definitely not. um yeah so uh that's for wordpress 4.6 pepper and if there's a jazz musician named salt then we really screwed up because that should have been <laughs> wordpress 4.5 there's always 4.7 but then it's pepper and salt and it just yeah. doesn't work mm. It's true. So it's true. Hopefully there's no jazz musician named Salt because we would have really missed an opportunity here. Uh, yeah. Got any closing we, thoughts? Uh, no. We didn't talk about 4.7, so I guess we'll do that another time. Yeah, well, it's next. It is. The march of progress continues. That's right. The baton is being passed yet again. The tradition of uh, going from Dominique Schilling to... Or Dominic Schilling to... Uh, Helen Husandi, so congratulations, Helen. The burden of 4.7 is on you now. (laughs) (laughs) All right, we'll talk to you all next time. Go to postitis.com slash club and go find Joe's uh, infrequent tweets. (laughs) Joe and Scohoyle. There we go. That's right. Have a good one. Thanks. Thanks.